At First Baptist Church, our mission is to follow our Lord Jesus Christ and to lead all others to a joyful life with Him. Our hope is that you will encounter Jesus Christ in such a way that you will have joyful news to go and tell. Yeah, remain standing and grab your bulletin. Turn with me to Matthew 6, 9 through 15. We're going to read this aloud together. This then is the text for today. Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. May God bless the reading of his word. This morning, we'll move back and forth. You'll, you'll want to turn to Matthew 6, 9 through 15, what we just read. But we're, we're also going to be in Matthew 18. And so you may want to have uh, a finger there as well. Because as, as we read and, and we, we come to the Lord's Prayer again, we always hesitate at those two verses following the Lord's Prayer. We read it and we stop. If you forgive, then you'll be forgiven. If you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. And it seems contrary to some of the other points in Scripture, some of the other things that we learned, even as we were just in Galatians. Is, is my salvation tied to my ability to forgive? It, it, it could say that, if, then. So where is Jesus going with this? And as we work through this question together, we'll need to go back and forth as we talk about forgiveness this morning. Because there's, a, there's another story in Matthew 18 that Jesus tells us that's necessary to understand the heart of verse 12 in the Lord's Prayer, verse 14 and 15. Over in Matthew 18, Jesus gives us a, a clear picture of forgiveness. And so when, when you look there in Matthew 18, it, it's interesting, Peter does something typically Peter. And, and when I say typically Peter, I also mean typically us. These are the kinds of things we do these are the kinds of questions we ask. Because in Matthew 18, when they come to forgiveness, Peter starts asking all the questions that we have. So when we just read verses 14 and 15, all those questions that come into our mind, Peter starts asking those questions to Jesus. And Jesus gives him a parable. Right? Peter, Peter wants clarification. The same clarification we want. 
And so this morning, we're gonna go back and forth between Matthew 6, Matthew 18. So just kind of keep those both open there. So if you forgive, you will be forgiven. If you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. It, it bugs you, doesn't it? Th- those verses linger in a way that other verses don't linger. And so we, we have all these questions for God in that. And those questions usually begin something like this. Surely you don't mean this, do you, God? Or, or surely you don't mean that, And so then we get Matthew 18 and and Peter steps into the spotlight of Jesus' teaching. And and this is is where Peter starts his line of questioning with Jesus. Peter says, well, how many times if, if I get hurt, if somebody near me, a friend, family member, whoever, one of your disciples, Jesus, if somebody hurts me, how many times do I have to do this? That's a, that's a perfectly reasonable question from our flesh. There, there has to be a limit, right? I mean, five times, six times. H- how many times, because th- this is where our flesh goes, Jesus, how many times do they get to get away with it? And, and to be clear, when our flesh asks that kind of a question, We're asking, how many times can they hurt me before I can legally harbor vengeance against them? How many times can they hurt me before I can finally get revenge? Five times, six times. Now, Peter's asking this question, it sounds a lot more spiritual than that. And maybe it was. And, and Peter even comes up and says, what about seven times? This, this number, in, in Peter's mind, it's like us, we do the same thing. This sounds like a big number. God, I, I will forgive them seven times. Doesn't that sound spiritual? And Jesus, he looks at Peter, and he disassembles everything about Peter and everything about that question. And he says, Jesus, no, it's 70 times seven times. Far more than you can think or imagine. And so then then Jesus tells them this parable. And, And it's a parable, and it starts with receiving forgiveness. And this is where we all start. What does it mean to receive forgiveness? Often we don't know how to do that. We don't, we don't know what that looks like, what that feels like to receive forgiveness. And so Jesus tells this parable. And he says there was a, there's a king. He says God's the king. And then we're like this slave. And he says this slave comes. The king is settling all of his accounts. And for some ridiculous reason, the slave comes before the king and he has billions of dollars in debt. There's no way a slave could pay back some billions of dollars in debt. And the king is is coming to this, this, this make right moment 
and the slave falls in his face before the king and says, forgive me. I'm gonna pay it back. I'm gonna pay it back. Forgive me. And the king says, you're forgiven. All of it. It's over. Stand up. You are forgiven. And as the parable goes, the man leaves the king. And he goes and and finds somebody that owes him something like $5,000. And he starts to strangle him. He says, pay me back what you owe me. Has the man thrown in jail. If you turn to me, look, look at Matthew 18. We'll look at verse 33 through 35. This is the end of that, that parable. Matthew 18, 33. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way I had mercy on you? So remember, he takes it back up to receiving forgiveness. What does it mean to receive forgiveness from the king? He says, consider again what you have been given. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way I had mercy on you? Then verse 34, and his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Why in the world would I ever forgive somebody 490 times? It's because God has forgiven you 491. Why would I ever forgive somebody 600 times or 700 times because God has forgiven you 1,000 times? Right, Learn, learn from your circumstances. Receive his forgiveness so that you can be forgiven. You know, forgiveness functions similarly to the fruit of the Spirit. As we mentioned before, we, we, we went through Galatians just recently. And the fruit of the Spirit, as you work through Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, those, those aren't things that we strive for. They aren't accomplishments that you do. They're things that the Spirit of God comes into your life and produces in you. So that in moments where you weren't gentle before, gentleness begins to show up because you're near to the Spirit of God. Right, places and times you didn't have patience before, you now have patience because the Spirit of God is with you. It's a a work of the Spirit. The the same thing is, is true of forgiveness. Forgiveness happens like this. As we begin to understand the depth of our sinfulness, And as we begin to approach the totality of God's forgiveness, a change happens in our heart so that as we learn to receive forgiveness, then it begins to flow out of our ways, out of our lives in ways that have never happened before. You see the text here, Matthew 18, and then the text in Matthew 6, both emphasize that if, if you're not forgiving, if you're not a forgiving person, you don't yet understand God's forgiveness. Or you haven't received God's forgiveness in yourself. You you don't understand how corrupt you were 
and how valuable the forgiveness of God is. God forgave you of a lifetime of depravity. How can you not forgive your brother for an affront? You know, and typically, this all stems from the fact that your forgiveness is undeserved. See, we, we think about where we receive forgiveness. It's not in us or what we accomplish. Our, our forgiveness was, was at the cross. There's nothing that you did to pay for your sin. There's nothing that you did to deserve the cross of Jesus Christ, and yet it was so. There is no way you could have redeemed yourself, yet God sent Jesus so that you might be redeemed. In your weakness, Jesus Christ became your strength. In your inability, Jesus became your ability. Though you were caught in the worst ways of this world, Jesus pulled you out and made you holy. It's a matter of the work of the cross, not a matter of who you are. While you were still a sinner, while you undeserved it, when you undeserved it, Jesus Christ made it so. Right, so that when someone comes and asks you for your forgiveness, it doesn't matter if they deserve it or not. God didn't ask if you deserve forgiveness or not. He sent Jesus anyway. And if you've experienced that grace, you then are to share that grace. Right, this, this is a sign that you know Jesus. If, if, if and when you're growing in Jesus, forgiveness is going to start showing up more and more in your life. And the closer you get to Jesus, the closer you get to that cross, the more forgiveness is going to flow out of you. So you have these holy moments of forgiveness between you and another. As you, as you grow in Jesus, you begin to learn the depth of God's mercy. Right? If, if anybody had justification to condemn another, it's God. And yet he gave you a way out. By his mercy, he saved you. So too, you are to offer your brother or your sister a way out. You know, as, as we mentioned earlier, when we come to this Christmas story, we, we quickly glance over that name of Jesus. We, we hear it so often. I mean, if you've been in the church in a while, you, you've heard that over and over again. And, and we overlook the profound nature of this promise. Right? Look with me back at Matthew 1, 21. Just turn over a couple of pages. So Matthew 1, 21, what does it say about Jesus? And I, I want you to notice this about the purpose and who Jesus is and what he was called to do. Matthew 1, 20, 21. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. When the angels proclaimed the mission of Jesus, they didn't talk about the miracles, they didn't talk about the signs, they didn't talk about the wonders. When the in, purpose of the incarnation was brought up, there is a clear one phrase declaration of what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to be the forgiveness that you needed. You, you, you were caught in sin and needed Jesus desperately, whether you realized it or not, and he came so that you would be saved, to bring forgiveness so that we might be redeemed before a holy God. See, Jesus didn't come to wow the synagogues with his wisdom. Jesus didn't, didn't, didn't come 
to control nature, right? To water into wine, calming the storm, reversing the effects of lifelong illness. He did those kinds of things, but that's not the incarnational purpose. Jesus knew this, though we often overlook it. Jesus came to save you from your sinfulness and the devastating effects of sin on your life. So that the culmination of the incarnation was the crucifixion. That's what Jesus was on your behalf. And so we see his ministry bookended by that word we've, we've become so familiar with, repentance. Jesus calling us to repentance. The first word of Jesus' ministry is repentance. It says in Matthew 4, Jesus begins his ministry. The first thing he says is repent. He's talking to you, he's talking to me. He says, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's where his ministry begins. Then we go to the book of Revelation, Revelation two and three. We see the, the culmination of time, Jesus at the end, and he has the same word for the church. Five of the seven churches in Revelation, he says, repent. This is your work. Come and know the forgiveness of God. All right, this, this is our direct connection here. Jesus' whole work was to provide the way and means of salvation, and we are to respond in repentance. It's our acknowledgement of his work of goodness and our corruption. And as we, we come to that moment of repentance, immediately transformation begins to happen. Now sometimes that transformation is slow as the, the work of the cross begins to affect your life. But as Jesus accomplished salvation for us, we experience this, this forgiveness in a transformational way so that, that life becomes different. Living life without the guilt of your tortured past becomes unrecognizable. It, it's, this, it's this beauty of walking with Jesus in the power of repentance from the forgiveness of the cross that you're set free from guilt and you're set free from sin. And, and God starts to mold you and, and he molds you in this forgiveness. So it's not, it's not your job to affect change. Right? The, the spirit of God is this molding agent that's gonna, gonna change your heart so that you're more forgiving than you've ever been. Now, I will say this, our flesh, though, has this tendency to, to fight back. Our, our flesh has this kind of knee-jerk reaction against the holy. And sometimes you even hear seasoned Christians say things like, I will never forgive them. But the Spirit of God starts to work. The Spirit of God starts to move. And when you're near to Jesus, he starts to produce a forgiveness in you that you couldn't do on your own. You see, when, when, you, when you experience this forgiveness of God, an arduous change begins to occur in your heart. And, and forgiveness becomes a part of who you are. Right? As, as you, you start to learn repentance, and turning away from your sin. I mean, think about stories like, like Zacchaeus. As soon as he met Jesus, he said, Jesus, I've defrauded people. And anybody I've defrauded, I'm gonna pay, pay back four times as much. 
I'm gonna make, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make right in those relationships, Jesus. It was a beautiful moment as he starts ex- asking for forgiveness. Right? That's a part of receiving forgiveness and asking for forgiveness. And then Jesus starts to shape you so that you can give forgiveness in the same way that you receive forgiveness. Right, through this steady realization of the compassion of God, you become more merciful. Not because you're good, but because of who God has been to you. An indebted slave before a king, you taste God's compassion and your heart starts to turn. Offering forgiveness where you've never been able to offer it before. Not because they deserve forgiveness from you. They don't deserve it. But because God forgave you when you didn't deserve it. So that when we read Matthew 6, 14 and 15, right? If you'll forgive, you'll be forgiven. If you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. We read that and we recognize something we've recognized throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us these commands that are virtually impossible. And and we read that, and our, our first thought is always, this is impossible. I don't think I can do that. But you know the refrain. With God, all things are possible. I want you to recognize this. You know, a lot of times when we think about miracles, we we think, I want to go back and see Jesus say, pick up your mat and walk. And they get up and they start walking. I want to go back. I want to see Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. Oh, wouldn't that be a miracle? But I'll tell you, from personal experience, and and the experience of of being a pastor, there's not a greater miracle to be had than when the Spirit of God starts to warm a frozen heart so that it forgives a wrong that's occurred. Those kinds of things don't happen because we're good because we're capable. When there's forgiveness between two of us, it is a miracle of the Spirit of God. You know, a lot of times when we, when we think about forgiveness, we're pretty limited in how we think about it. We, we think about forgiveness as this fault. Right? Where someone over there has wronged me and there's this schism, this, this fault line between us. And we're, we're fractured in such a way that we don't know if that can be repaired. And, and so in our minds, we, we start to see that, that distance and fracture growing where it seems impossible that that, that fault might be healed. Because they, they did something wrong that affected us. And we think, we think about forgiveness on the scale, right? Like typically the way our flesh thinks about forgiveness is how, how, how terrible the infraction was is, is related to how hard it's gonna to be to forgive them. Now, I'm gonna need more time. 
if it's a, a worse fault. Or I'm going to need a bigger gesture if it was a, a, a big failure. But when you think about forgiveness differently, forgiveness really isn't about the size of the fault between myself and another person. Forgiveness is directly related to what you believe about God. And your behavior and your words are, are going to be in step with what you believe about who God is. And, and my theology then, in turn, will affect how I approach the fault and the person on the other side of the fault. So when we think about what we believe about our God, what kind of sin does God forgive? Does God forgive some sin? Or does he forgive all of your sins? Because the, the, God, the God of Scripture, the Bible that we know and love, this God says your sins are forgiven all of them in total. How hard is it to appeal to his forgiveness? Is your God's forgiveness available? Or does your God ask you to go through a gauntlet of life experiences to find forgiveness on the other side? Because the God of Scripture says forgiveness is available at the cross of Jesus Christ. Whatever gauntlet needed to be had was had at the cross, and forgiveness is free. What kind of God do you believe in? How, mu how much effort must you put forth to receive forgiveness? Does it take a Herculean effort to find forgiveness? Or does it take trusting in Jesus to find forgiveness? Because the, the God of Scripture says, it is not your effort, but faith and believe in Jesus Christ who is the forgiveness of your sins. You see, forgiveness really isn't about the fault between this one or that one or me and you, the size of the fault or who's fallen in between. Forgiveness is, is about what we, what we believe about God. Is God compassionate? Is he merciful to the repentant? If so, then we are. So this morning is not about you finding enough willpower to, to forgive another. It's about approaching the mercy seat of our God and receiving the forgiveness that you need. Let's pray together. Lord, we walk around with heavy burdens of guilt. Lord, many of us are, are tortured by our past We're regretting things we never should have done. 
Lord, we're regretting things we were supposed to do and we didn't do. Would you pick us up this morning and remind us of how much you love us? Lord, would you pour out your grace from heaven upon this congregation that we might receive forgiveness well and in knowing you be able to forgive? Lord, every one of us in here needs your forgiveness. And we pray that by your spirit, you would help us to to understand those ways. What it means to receive forgiveness. And in turn, what it means to forgive. Lord, we want to be a repentant people. We want to be a forgiving people. And we pray that your spirit would make it so. It's in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.